Good morning, everybody. Uh, the nominations hearing of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee will come to order. And I want to welcome uh, all of you here uh, and also thank uh, my colleague, uh, Senator Rounds, uh, who's the ranking member of the Africa Subcommittee uh, and the Subcommittee on Global Health Policy and look forward to continuing our work uh, together. Uh, also very pleased to welcome uh, our three nominees this morning, Ambassador Mike, Michael Rainier uh, to be Ambassador to the Republic of Senegal and Ambassador to the Republic of Guinea-Bissau, Mr. Mark Osfield to be Ambassador to the Republic of Paraguay, and Mr. Troy Fitrell uh, to be Ambassador to the Republic of Guinea. Uh, again, welcome all of you here. Congratulations on your nominations, and thank you for your ongoing service to the country as members of the Foreign Service. And I uh, also want to thank and salute uh, your family members uh, who have joined with us today. Uh, before we hear from our nominees, I'd like to outline several key topics of relevance uh, today for today's panel uh, before turning it over to the ranking member for his opening statement. Ambassador Rainier, I'm pleased to welcome you back to the Senate Foreign Relations uh, Committee uh, and glad that President Biden has selected you to represent the United States in two nations that hold great promise uh, and great potential for enhancing our diplomatic presence in West Africa, Senegal and Guinea-Bissau. As you know, uh, Senegal has been a democratic stronghold in the region and a longstanding friend of the United States. And I hope that should you be confirmed, you'll work in partnership with this committee and regional stakeholders in Senegal to deepen the bonds that link our two nations. In contrast, Guinea-Bissau has undergone significant political upheaval in recent years, and those political challenges are paired with serious developmental challenges, development challenges. The World Bank estimates that 70% of the population in Guinea-Bissau lives on $1.90 per day or less, and that hardship has only been compounded by the economic fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic. I look forward to discussing with you your potential avenues and your ideas for engagement in Guinea-Bissau as we work to promote development both in that country and across West Africa. Mr. Fitrell, you've been selected by the President to serve in Guinea, another country that presents many challenges and also opportunities for engagement. I was pleased to see the State Department's determination from last year that Guinea has, quote, great potential, unquote, for the programs of the new International Development Finance Corporation, especially in the areas of banking, agriculture, IT, energy, and infrastructure. In addition, the USAID Office of Transition Initiatives recently launched a $15 million regional program seeking to bolster stability in coastal West African nations, including Guinea. At the same time, we must be clear-eyed about the challenges we face in Guinea from last year's violent and controversial re-election of President Conde. Also, to, to look at the impact of China's deepening influence uh, in the country. I look forward to discussing measures the United States can take to leverage the tools at our disposal for the benefit of our interests and those of the people of Guinea. We all recognize that Africa is not a monolith. It's essential that we work with community partners and local leaders to address specific challenges facing each uh, of these African nations. And as we work to strengthen our bilateral relationships, also uh, to 
uh, impact our broader effort to enlarge prosperity that is mutually beneficial to African nations and the United States in West Africa and throughout the continent. That larger mission must include finding ways to broaden our development efforts through initiatives like USID and DFC and enhance trade by making full use of the African Growth and Opportunity Act, AGOA, and other trade tools. We look forward to discussing uh, those ideas with you as well. Uh, finally, uh, we come to Mr. Ostfield, who's been selected to serve on the other side of the Atlantic in Paraguay, uh, which is a longtime friend and partner to the United States. Uh, and I've been pleased to see the Biden administration make a concerted effort to strengthen our already warm relations with Paraguay. On March 14th, as you know, Secretary Blinken spoke on the phone with President Benitez and reiterated United States support for the Paraguayan people. And in June, Under Secretary of State for Political Affairs, Victoria Nuland traveled to Paraguay to participate in the second U.S.-Paraguay Strategic Partnership Dialogue, a forum that has been vital in advancing discussions between our countries on trade, security, democracy, and collaboration. Mr. Osfield, uh, we look forward to exploring with you the current state of U.S.-Paraguayan relations and looking at areas where we can further strengthen that relationship. Um, let me just uh, end where I started by congratulating all of you on your nominations. Look forward to our discussion during this hearing. And with that, let me turn it over to my colleague, Senator Rounds. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, First of all, let me just begin by saying that I am very pleased to see this well-qualified panel of nominees before us today with one previously confirmed twice by this committee to serve in two ambassadorial posts as well as two other very experienced State Department personnel with great records of service. I want to thank you and your families for your service to our country. Ambassador Rayner, your background with Africa, to include two tours as an ambassador, will serve you well if you are confirmed to be our next ambassador to Senegal and Guinea-Bissau. I look forward to hearing your thoughts on how you will apply, <clears throat> excuse me, on how you will apply uh, lessons learned from your most recent tour in Ethiopia, particularly regarding how the COVID-19 pandemic and recent unrest in Senegal is affecting Senegal's stability and economic prospects. I would also like to hear how you will approach our relationship with Guinea-Bissau and your views on the prospects for greater political stability under President Mbalo. Dr. Osfield, if confirmed, your experience in global health security and managing other global issues will make you well-placed to serve as our ambassador to Paraguay. I am interested in your thoughts on what additional assistance from the U.S. or other international partners Paraguay might need in order to overcome the health and economic effects of the pandemic. We would also welcome your ideas on improved governance and rule of law, increasing security cooperation, and advancing U.S. business interests. Mr. Fattrell, if you are confirmed, I would be very pleased that we would be sending a diplomat to Guinea who has held a number of senior positions in the Bureau of African Affairs, including most recently as Director of the Office of West African Affairs. Now, this oversees the U.S. engagement with Guinea. I am interested in your thoughts on how Guinea might overcome its deep political divisions and recommit to regular democratic transfers of power. With that, Mr. Chairman, thank you, and it's back to you, sir. Well, thank you, uh, Ranking Member Rounds. I uh, also want to recognize we've been joined by Senator Kane, uh, who 
among other things, uh, chairs the subcommittee on the Western, over, that oversees the Western Hemisphere. Welcome, welcome here. And um, before I, I turn it over to all of you for your testimony, let me just uh, expand a little bit on your backgrounds. And Senator Rounds uh, mentioned some of your experiences, but I do think it's worth emphasizing the deep experience uh, that all of you uh, have. And I must say, as uh, someone who grew up in a foreign service family, I'm grateful for your your service, and it, it, it always serves our country's interests well when we nominate and send people uh, who, who have deep knowledge of the issue areas they're, they're jumping into. Ambassador Michael Rayner, um, known affectionately by friends and colleagues here and abroad as Ambassador Mike, is a long-term member of the Foreign Service. Um, over the course of his extensive career, Ambassador Rainier has worked in all African subregions. He most recently served as a U.S. ambassador to Ethiopia and was previously our ambassador to Benin. Earlier in his career, Ambassador Rainier was director of the Office of Career Development and Assignments in the State Department's Bureau of Human Resources, where he oversaw career development for over 14,000 members of the Foreign Service. He has also served as the Africa Bureau's executive director, where he led management and crisis support efforts for the Bureau's 53 U.S. embassies and consulates. In addition, uh, his previous, ser previous service includes tours as management officer at U.S. embassies in Zimbabwe, Namibia, Guinea, and Djibouti. He earned an M.A. in international affairs from Columbia University and a B.A. from Lafayette College. He's the recipient of numerous State Department awards, including the Lehman R. Hunt Award for Management Excellent, Excellence. Uh, he's fluent in French. Um, and as an extra bonus, at least for me, um, he's a resident of the state of Maryland. Uh, welcome. Mr. Mark Osfield is a career member of the Senior Executive Service uh, with over 40 years of experience in international affairs and national security. He's the current ombudsman at, of the United States State Department uh, and also has served the department is acting director of the Foreign Service Institute, director of the Office of Policy and Global Issues in the Bureau of European and Eurasian Affairs, senior foreign affairs officer at the Office of Science and Technology Cooperation, and senior advisor for bioterrorism, biodefense, and health security in the Office of International Health and Biodefense. Mr. Osfield earned his BA, MS, and PhD from the University of Pennsylvania. He is the recipient of a presidential rank award, numerous senior State Department awards, and a range of other honors, including a prestigious diplomacy fellowship from the American Association for the Advancement of Science. He speaks Spanish, Portuguese, French, and Arabic. Welcome to you. Mr. Troy Damien Fitrell is a career member of the Senior Foreign Service and current director of the Office of West African Affairs at the State Department. He's previously served as Deputy Chief of Mission at U.S. Embassies in Ethiopia and Mauritius, and as Deputy Director of the Department's Office of Southern African Affairs. In addition, he served as Senior Advisor to the United States Special Envoy for the Great Lakes of Africa. Mr. Fatrell uh, has also spent time on Capitol Hill, Hill as a Pearson Fellow. Uh, we won't hold it against you. He worked on the House side instead of the Senate side. Uh, but uh, you worked on the House Foreign Affairs Committee where your portfolio included a suite of issues relevant to Asia, the Pacific, and Africa. Uh, I'm also proud to know that Mr. Fatrell earned his BA in my home state at the University of Maryland and an MS at the National War College. He speaks French, Spanish, Portuguese, Swedish, and Danish. 
and let me just welcome you as well. So it is wonderful to have a group of three very qualified uh, nominees to be ambassadors uh, to these important posts. Uh, now let me turn it over to each of you uh, for your opening statements. Let's begin with Ambassador Rainier. Thank you very much. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Rounds, and members of the committee, I'm honored to appear before you today as President Biden's nominee to serve as Ambassador to the Republic of Senegal and to the Republic of Guinea-Bissau. I'm grateful to the President and Secretary Blinken for their trust and confidence in me, and I'm deeply indebted to my wife Kate, my son Bradley, and my daughter Emma for their sacrifices and support throughout my Foreign Service career. During more than 31 years as a Foreign Service officer, I've developed substantial policy and managerial experience and a record of inclusive leadership fostering interagency collaboration, strong performance by diverse teams, and high morale in challenging environments. As Ambassador to Ethiopia, I advanced our bilateral priorities at the time, which included supporting the country's transition toward democratic governance and free market economics, launching new programs to bolster human rights and counter ethnic strife, strengthening peacekeeping and counterterrorism efforts, and facilitating major growth in U.S. commercial investments. I'm devastated by the current situation there. As Ambassador to Benin, I elicited strong security cooperation, helped improve the country's business climate and U.S. commercial prospects, and strengthened the country's democratic trajectory. As Assistant Chief of Mission in Afghanistan, I led some of the United States' largest foreign assistance and justice sector programs, as well as the Embassy's large and complex management, consular, and security operations while regularly engaging Afghan leaders on governance and security concerns. As Executive Director of the Bureau of African Affairs, I led the State Department's management and crisis support for more than 50 posts in Africa. If confirmed as the next U.S. Ambassador to Senegal and to Guinea-Bissau, my highest priority will be the welfare interests and security of American citizens, whether ensuring responsive consular services, advocating for U.S. businesses, or strengthening partnerships to confront regional instability. This priority will guide every embassy objective and activity. If confirmed, I'll also do everything I can to ensure that the dedicated women and men serving at the U.S. Embassy are secure, healthy, and provided every opportunity for success. Our close partnership with Senegal spans more than 60 years and is rooted in our shared values of democracy and human rights, peace and security, economic opportunity, and prosperity. Senegal's long democratic tradition of peaceful transitions of power, free and fair elections, a robust private press, and a strong civil society is unique in West Africa and serves as a model for the region. Senegal's dynamic economy has achieved impressive growth while creating new opportunities for U.S. investment. While the pandemic has hampered this progress and worsened the economic strains felt by Senegal's, Senegal's large youth population, U.S. public and private investments can play a key role in reigniting the country's growth. Embassy Dakar and Washington counterparts are pursuing a number of possibilities for U.S. investment to strengthen Senegal's economy and its long-term security and democratic governance. Senegal is a key security partner in West Africa and a critical ally in the United States' efforts to promote stability and counter violent extremism. It's a major contributor to peacekeeping missions across Africa and regularly hosts regional military exercises in partnership with the United States and France. If confirmed, I'll work to strengthen the United States' essential democratic, commercial, development, and security partnerships with Senegal. In Guinea-Bissau, the United States has sustained its programs in partnership despite pandemic-related challenges, and there is scope to expand the bilateral relationship further in the days ahead. If confirmed, I'll seek to advance our two countries' shared interests in bolstering democracy and human rights, promoting stable and responsive civilian governance, 
advancing development and economic opportunity, and countering drug trafficking. Senegal and Guinea-Bissau are dynamic nations with extraordinary histories and extraordinary potential. I'm honored by your consideration of me to serve in such an important posting. If confirmed, I'll welcome advice and input from you and your staff on any aspect of the United States' multifaceted relationships with Senegal and Guinea-Bissau. I'll also be pleased, if confirmed, to welcome you and your staff in Senegal and Guinea-Bissau and to keep you up to date on the activities of the U.S. Embassy in Dakar. Thank you for the opportunity to address you today. I look forward to answering any questions you may have. Thank you, Mr. Ambassador. Uh, Mr. Osfield. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member, and members of the committee, it's an honor to appear before you today as the President's nominee to serve as the U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of Paraguay. I'm grateful for the trust and confidence President Biden and Secretary Blinken have placed in me. I appear today with the support of my husband of 32 years, Michael, who's encouraged me throughout my career of public service. Over the course of the past 35 years, my work has always been about making the world a healthier, safer, more just, and more equitable place. Whether on the front lines of AIDS prevention, developing global health campaigns in Latin America and worldwide, or in the Department of State, shaping policy on issues ranging from bioterrorism to human rights, to human trafficking, to anti-corruption. My professional experience has demonstrated the power of diverse teams that reflect the country we serve and the ability to build coalitions in challenging environments. My experience as a volunteer firefighter has reinforced the importance of mutual aid and decision-making in high-pressure situations. If confirmed, I will draw upon this experience to advance U.S. goals in Paraguay by working to strengthen governance, increase security, and promote U.S. business interests. Mr. Chairman, Paraguay has proven to be a reliable partner and ardent defender of democracy in the region, calling for an end to undemocratic practices in Venezuela and Nicaragua and supporting Cubans' right to peaceful protest. Paraguay's steadfast support for Taiwan is another indicator of its commitment to democracy. Like all democracies, Paraguay's has its challenges, particularly the need for stronger rule of law and democratic governance. Transparency International's 2020 Corruption Perceptions Index ranks Paraguay 137 out of 180 countries, near the bottom for Latin America. In order to deliver prosperity for all its citizens and foster greater economic opportunities with the U.S., Paraguay must continue its efforts to root out corruption and impunity, increase transparency, and repair judicial integrity. If confirmed, I will prioritize anti-corruption and leverage tools such as Section 7031C of the 2019 Appropriations Act, which Secretaries Blinken and Pompeo have used to designate corrupt Paraguayan officials. The global pandemic created outsized risks for Paraguay, with the world's highest daily per capita death rate in June of this year. The U.S. proudly donated 2 million vaccine doses to Paraguay in July, which promptly began its mass vaccination campaign. Additional U.S. support this year will bring U.S. funding for non-vaccine assistance to over $9 million since the start of the pandemic. Paraguay's long-standing bond with like-minded Democratic partner has made it, Democratic partner Taiwan, has made it a target of pressure tactics by the People's Republic of China to push Paraguay into switching diplomatic relations to Beijing. 
If confirmed, I will work to support Paraguay's economic and political sovereignty and its commitment to Taiwan. U.S. security goals center on helping Paraguay counter illicit networks, which threaten the safety of U.S. citizens and the region through money laundering, counterfeiting, drug trafficking, trafficking in persons, and links to terrorist organizations. If confirmed, I will prioritize helping Paraguay and regional partners strengthen border security and address transnational crime. The United States is Paraguay's number one investor, and U.S. exports to Paraguay support an estimated 7,000 American jobs. To protect and expand U.S. business opportunities, I will engage Paraguayan authorities on investment disputes, procurement tenders, and intellectual property rights. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member, and members of the committee, if confirmed, I will consult with this committee as we work for the safety, freedom, and prosperity of the U.S. and Paraguayan people. Thank you for the opportunity to appear before you today, and I look forward to your questions. Thank you, Mr. Osfield. Uh, now we'll turn to Mr. Fattrell. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member, and members of the committee, I'm deeply honored to appear before you today and grateful to President Biden and Secretary Blinken for the confidence they have placed in me as their nominee for Ambassador to the Republic of Guinea. I'm proud to have my family here today, my wife, Catherine, a fellow Foreign Service officer, and my children, Madeline and Sam, who have spent their lives immersed in the Foreign Service themselves. Although my career has taken us all to several continents, we are drawn to and always thrilled to be in Sub-Saharan Africa, where we've spent the majority of our assignments. My last assignment as Director for West African Affairs was, like everyone's, shaken up by the pandemic. But the one and only trip I was able to take before the pandemic struck began in Guinea, where I had the pleasure of traveling up country with my friend and colleague, Ambassador Simon Henshaw, whose passing was a shock to all who knew him. It would be a signal honor, if confirmed, to try to build upon his work. The relationship between the United States and Guinea has passed through various stages during Guinea's 63 years of independence, but we have always extended our hand in partnership through support for nascent democratic institutions, productive economic initiatives, and supporting the Guinean people directly through effective education and health programs, including in response to the Ebola epidemic in 2014. Indeed, in this current pandemic, American investments in health systems paid off as Guinea sought to mitigate the ravages of COVID-19. In the midst of this crisis, however, Ebola raised its ugly head again earlier this year, and those American-supported institutions reacted swiftly and effectively, halting it this time in a matter of months and with minimal loss of life. Economically, Guinea is growing faster than anticipated, sustained mostly by strong mining activity, construction, and agriculture. U.S. companies have been in Guinea since the days of independence, and more are joining them every year. Recent investments in energy, infrastructure, mining, and banking show that when given a fair chance, the United States is the preferred partner. I don't minimize the challenges. There are opportunities in infrastructure precisely because so little infrastructure exists. The challenges to doing business in Guinea are well-documented, and recent political tensions only increase the level of difficulty. As we partner with the Guinean people, we advocate for fundamental freedoms, we advocate for open political participation, and we advocate for justice and dignity. Guinea was born a nation of peace and leadership, and the citizens of that country, the region, and the world need a Guinea that builds upon that history. Right now, Guineans rightfully express concern about peace and security, both at home and in the region. If confirmed, I will encourage dialogue among the parties to strengthen political pluralism. 
Such dialogue can only succeed if all sides feel confident that there can be a positive outcome. We support efforts to reform Guinea's security institutions with capacity building efforts to bolster civilian protection, rule of law, and accountability. Guinea's troops have performed well in Mali, the most dangerous peacekeeping mission on earth, and we recognize Guinea for that contribution. If confirmed as the 23rd US ambassador to the Republic of Guinea, I will support and encourage the ongoing democratic process. I will promote economic development, including advocacy for US exports, support for US investment, and helping diversify Guinea's economy. And I will work to improve public health institutions, enhance Guinea's efforts against trafficking in persons, and strengthen our security partnership. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member, and members of the committee for the opportunity to address you today. My wife and I are both former Hill staffers, and so I would also like to thank your staffs uh, for all they do to support you and your constituents every day. If confirmed, I look forward to working with you in representing the interests of the American people in Guinea, and I hope very much to welcome you there on a visit one day soon. And with that, I am happy to answer any questions you may have. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mr. Futrell, and uh, I thank all of you again, and welcome to all the family members uh, who are with us. Um, and I want to reinforce your statement of appreciation for all our, our staffs uh, as well. Um, Ambassador Rainer, if you were to pick sort of the top challenge that you will face in each of the two countries, uh, that you um, would go to, if confirmed. Can you just identify those very quickly? Thank you, Senator. Uh, absolutely. Uh, in uh, Guinea-Bissau, uh, the top challenge is uh, to create um, uh, a sense of partnership uh, that um, reflects shared values of democracy and governance and creates opportunity to bring U.S. influence to bear. Uh, on, on the development of that country, the economic opportunities of that country, uh, and the political opportunities for the people of that country uh, so that it can, uh, it can build its governance, it can uh, reinforce its stability, uh, and it can become more integrated into regional and international uh, community of nations. Uh, Senegal, uh, if I may, I'll, I'll give a, a slightly three-part question, uh, uh, one-part question, a three-part answer. Um, Politically, it's, it's uh, as, as we both have noted, sir, uh, a very uh, long-standing democracy. Uh, but all democracies incurred uh, strains uh, and, and, and uh, paying attention to maintaining political space, to respecting citizens' rights and opportunities of, of expression and participation uh, remains important for all of our democracies. Uh, and I would very much want to reinforce our partnership with Senegal in that regard. Uh, Senegal plays an enormously important security role. Uh, both as a bulwark against terrorism in the Sahel uh, and its peacekeeping mission. Uh, I would very much want to reinforce its capacity to play both of those roles uh, while also continuing to support uh, its efforts to inculcate its security and military uh, uh, institutions uh, with a high respect for, for democratic norms. Uh, economically, enormous potential for U.S. firms. I would very much want to support uh, and, and broaden those opportunities and, and bring deals to fruition, uh, while also uh, through private sector and uh, public engagement, uh, building up uh, Senegal's economy, its uh, capacity to create jobs for its large youth population, uh, both to create economic opportunity for all of us, but also to contribute to uh, uh, Senegal's ongoing stability and democracy, uh, democracy as well. Thank, thank you, Mr. Ambassador. And just uh, staying with West Africa for now, um, Mr. Fatrell, um, you know, we talked about the relative democratic stability in, in Senegal. We have a different situation, of course, uh, in Guinea. How concerned are you about political space and democracy uh, in Guinea? And what can the United States do to 
uh, strengthen uh, democratic norms there. I am indeed concerned about the about these issues. Right now, the levels of political tension in the aftermath of the violence and the conflict of uh, last year's election season was uh, it still echoes. Uh, the number of detainees uh, currently uh, held in custody in in Guinea are worrying. Uh, our focus is on the process. Uh, if there is wrongdoing, they should be charged. Uh, if they've been charged, they should have a fair trial. Uh, and while detained, they should be given humane treatment. Uh, that's on the immediate sense uh, of some of the some of the issues in the country. But more broadly, uh, the ability for people to exercise those fundamental rights of freedom of expression, uh, freedom of assembly, uh, these are under some under some threat in Guinea. I think the United States can keep its efforts on overarching democratic processes in the country, and we could use our messaging, both public and private, uh, to be able to encourage uh, a greater advance towards political dialogue in that country. Uh, at the moment, the tensions are such that there's very little dialogue occurring. Uh, people are talking past one another, and I believe the United States, we can use our good offices of the embassy and of uh, officials in Washington to help encourage a greater dynamic of political dialogue in the country in order to achieve a future in which uh, more regular democratic transitions can take place. Thank you. And in my remaining uh, 50 seconds, uh, if, you could, if you could assess uh, China's uh, influence in Guinea, because we know that Guinea has been a major um, recipient of Belt and Road uh, support. Uh, China, of course, uh, doesn't adhere to the same standards with respect to rule of law and democratic norms that that we aspire to. Can you talk a little bit about the influence of China in Guinea and how that impacts U.S.-Guinea relations? Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. They are uh, the largest trading partner that Guinea has. Uh, and that is uh, a challenge uh, for, for Guinea and for the rest of the world. The, the uh, emphasis is on a level playing field, and we know that that is not always the case with China. Uh, but our focus on the broader macroeconomic policies of the country have led to real competition. And that is why U.S. investors have been successful in the country, as well as uh, investors from other parts of the world. But keeping that attention on transparency, on, on the applicability of the rule of law, uh, these are the areas in which we need to uh, remain focused so that we can have full, even, and fair competition. Thank you. Uh, Senator Rounds. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And I let me begin just simply once again by thanking all of you and your families for your service to our country. Ambassador Rayner, in, in your previous assignment in, in Ethiopia, you engaged with the Ethiopian government on several complex issues for the United States, including the war in Tigray and the historic transition under Prime Minister Abe. Um, we were there just, at, uh, Senator Inhofe uh, and Senator Bozeman and I were there uh, earlier this spring and we had the opportunity to visit with uh, President Abe at that time. And it seemed to me that there were some real challenges there that, that we tried to work through with the prime minister. You clearly have some insights with regard to what had occurred in Ethiopia. And now as you move forward with coming to Senegal, you find yourself in a, in a unique situation once again. If confirmed, what lessons would you draw from your time in Ethiopia and how would you apply them in Senegal? Thank you, Senator. Um, uh, I, I guess I would note um, at, at the outset that the, the, while the, uh, 
there would certainly be much commonality in my engagement in, in, in Senegal if confirmed as, as there was in Ethiopia. Uh, the starting point is, is, is pretty, pretty different. Uh, Ethiopia uh, was just launching during my time there uh, a very new and ambitious effort to, to create a democracy and a free market economy uh, preceded by frankly, millennia of repression and, 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 and closed ways of doing business. Uh, Senegal, of course, has, has a long and, 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 and strong democratic tradition. Uh, but I think one of the lessons uh, I learned from Ethiopia is that democracy can never be taken for granted, uh, that you have to uh, deal forthrightly with, with your counterparts in the country, make sure they're aware of what you can do to support uh, our shared interests, but also uh, make sure they're aware when you have concerns about uh, what they're doing that you feel is getting in the way of those shared interests. Uh, that's something I've done throughout my career and throughout my, my two ambassadorships and um, would certainly anticipate doing in uh, Senegal as well. Thank you, sir. Um, I'm going to stick with uh, Africa on my discussions. And uh, Dr. Rosefield, I, I see that Senator Kane is here, and I'm sure that he is going to provide ample opportunity for discussions with regard uh, to Paraguay. So I, if I could, I, I would like to turn to Mr. Fatrell And I'm just curious, as the former director of the Office of West African Affairs, you've had a unique perspective on developments in the West Africa region. How would you assess the democratic, economic, and security landscape in the region? And how does Guinea fit into these regional trends? Uh, thank you. Uh, it's been a challenging two years, uh, no question. I, I would say that all of those uh, aspects that you mentioned are linked. Uh, one of the problems is, is the advancement of violent extremist organizations uh, hasn't occurred in a vacuum. It didn't occur just because the organizations chose to enter the space. Uh, they, were, they have achieved the success that they've had uh, because they found a ground that was uh, available for that kind of activity. Uh, the local grievances, the, the backsliding of democracy, uh, widespread corruption have all been problematic uh, in the region. And the current attention uh, needs to focus on all the drivers of extremism and not just the extremists themselves. And our efforts to address the extremists themselves has to be done in a way in which it's not actually counterproductive. Uh, all of these issues frankly, pay no attention to national borders. Uh, and I know that the government of Guinea itself is deeply concerned about its eastern and northeastern borders and considers these issues to be existential for their country. And so the attempt to address those drivers of extremism across the Sahel, across West Africa, uh, are absolutely critical for any way of addressing sustainably uh, the concerns that the, these governments have right now. If you could provide advice uh, to us today with regard to Chinese influence and how to offset it, if there were perhaps one or two specific areas where we could be uh, more precise, more exacting, um, uh, more on target with the type of programs that we should support, how do you, what would you recommend to us in terms of the right tools uh, for use? Bingo, Senator, you, you put it right in your, in your own words. Uh, the programs that you gave us with the International Development Finance Corporation is probably the biggest step forward for us to be able to compete on a level playing field. We can keep shining a light on the, play, on the playing field. We can keep uh, lobbying and persuading to make sure that, uh, that international norms are, are uh, respected. 
But if we don't have the financing behind uh, our expeditionary uh, commercial uh, efforts, then we're always going to be fighting for second place. And we have already seen tremendous uh, successes with OPIC and with its successor organization, the DFC. We're looking forward to some tremendous successes in, in the region. But having that finance behind was probably the biggest step forward. Very good. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Senator Rounds. Senator Kane. Uh, thank you, Chairman. And Senator Rounds is right. I'm really here to really focus on Paraguay. So, Mr. Osfield, uh, welcome. Um, just a quick story and then a question, and it's about U.S. vaccines in Paraguay and really throughout the region. Just returned from a CODEL, six of us, three Democrats, three Republicans. We went to Mexico, Guatemala, Ecuador, and Colombia. And what we heard, there were many issues, but what we heard again and again was just this deep appreciation for the U.S. donation of vaccines. And if I had read a memo about it, you know, I would have sort of understood it, but I really had to go and hear it because the story we heard again and again is the U.S. is donating vaccines to us. Um, China and Russia are willing to sell us vaccines. We really feel good about the quality of the U.S. vaccines. We're not 100% sure about the quality of the China and Russia vaccines. And when we make a contract with China and Russia to get vaccines, they may or may not come through. Paraguay's had a very difficult time during COVID. It has one of the lowest vaccination rates in the Americas. It's got a population of 7 million. They did a contract with China to sell them a million vaccines through Sinopharm, and China just unilaterally canceled the contract because Paraguay is one of the 15 countries in the world that recognizes Taiwan. This is a huge political issue in Paraguay. The uh, President Benitez's handling of the pandemic and the challenges they've had led the Congress there to consider impeaching him just a couple of months ago. They averted that, but China likely saw that as an opportunity, and so just last month canceled the vaccines. On the other hand, the United States has delivered a million vaccines, donated a million vaccines to Paraguay, and with the announcement of President Biden the other day, there's a chance that we may donate more. Uh, other nations in the Americas, El Salvador, the Dominican Republic, as soon as they stopped recognizing Taiwan, China gave them vaccines. Often in the last few years, what we've heard from leaders in the region is that the U.S., we'd much rather deal with the U.S. than China, much rather we're culturally so connected, but you're not around and China is, and if China's around, we're going to deal with them. The vaccine delivery and donations by the United States gives us such a massive opportunity to rebuild goodwill and really kind of accelerate our goodwill ahead of China's in the region if we do it right. So I'll ask you, Mr. Osfield, should you be confirmed, how might you use the, 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 uh, the fact that the U.S. is being a great global donor, including to countries in the Americas, including Paraguay, to, uh, to, to build our standing and deepen the relationship between the United States and Paraguay? Thank you, Senator Kane. It's great to hear your experience on the recent uh, CODEL to the region. Um, if confirmed, I would look forward to building on the recent U.S. donation of 2 million doses of vaccine. First tranche of a million arrived July 9th. The last tranche, I believe, arrived last week. If you ever look at any press reports, they arrived on planes with Star Wars logos. So quite a media story in addition to the vaccine itself arriving in Paraguay. By all reports, Paraguay has already implemented a fairly effective mass vaccination campaign I, reports I saw just this week are there's now people getting receiving their second dose. So they've been that efficient, that effective at getting vaccines out there. And it's true that the China-Taiwan relationship or the China-Taiwan issue uh, complicates things for Paraguay. They don't have access to the Chinese resources. If confirmed, I would look forward to working with the government of Paraguay 
to strengthen Paraguay's commitment to Taiwan. It was encouraging to note that during Undersecretary for Political Affairs Newland's recent trip to Paraguay, uh, the president of Paraguay made a statement affirming uh, Paraguay's longstanding connection to Taiwan. Uh, they're like-minded democratic partners. The U.S. Embassy in Asuncion in May of this year hosted the first virtual forum for U.S. and Taiwanese entrepreneurs to look at investment opportunities in Paraguay specific to things like renewable energy and electric vehicle manufacturing. If confirmed, one of the calls I look forward to making in Asuncion is to the Taiwanese ambassador there to identify ways that the U.S. and Taiwan can partner. It, the the U.S.-Taiwan connection is good for the United States, it's good for Taiwan, and it's good for Paraguay. And so ways that we can work together to help them are in our interest, and I look forward to furthering those if confirmed. Well, just to kind of underline an exclamation point, something, to, so the U.S. has delivered, donated 2 million vaccines in a country of 7 million. I mean, that is a big deal in terms of the percentage of the population that U.S. donations are now able to cover. Um, we visited Ecuador, and just for, for my colleagues, Ecuador has had a tradition of an anti-U.S. government for about 30 years. They had an election in the spring, and they not only elected a pro-American president, but they also elected a general a, a, a parliament where the 80% of the members were brand new. And one of the reasons they did that is because the 30-year closer and closer to China, what has it gotten them? It's got them oil drilling in the Amazon by Chinese companies that are causing huge environmental challenges, slipshod um, infrastructure projects, including dams that are causing waterfalls and rivers to dry up, uh, Chinese fishing fleets vacuuming up fish around the Galapagos, which is part of Ecuador. And many people view the election in Ecuador and this very dramatic turn toward a pro-U.S. posture as a revulsion uh, at what happens when you get too close to China and the debt that comes along with that and the slipshod quality of some of the work caused the public to want to do something else. We have a real opportunity and the innovation of American firms, Operation Warp Speed, the Biden administration's decision to deploy in a very generous way is something that in Africa, in the Americas, all around the world, it's a, it's a great opportunity for us to deepen ties. Mr. Ostfield, I look forward to working with you, should be confirmed, and uh, I think this is gonna give you a really good ability to do good work there. Thank you. Uh, thank you, um, Senator Kane. I'm, uh, and I, I think Paraguay is a really good example, as you said, of uh, where the U.S. Uh, donation of 2 million vaccines has had a huge impact. Hopefully, it will be a model for how we uh, approach others in, in the region and around the world. Um, I, I'm not sure. Senator Young, I'm told, may be joining us now uh, via WebEx. He's no longer available. Okay. He's no longer <clears throat> available. So I just have... Um, one last question, because I didn't have a chance to ask you one, uh, Mr. Osfield, and it relates to the environmental situation um, in Paraguay. And my colleagues will have another round, of course, uh, for other members who are interested in asking additional one, questions. One question. Yeah. So, you know, last October, uh, Paraguay endured one of its worst wildfire seasons, and it's currently suffering from a drought that has depleted the Paraguay River, uh, which is the country's main waterway and trade corridor that's gone to record uh, lows. Uh, this has led to environmental degradation and worsened economic hardship uh, during the pandemic. It has also led Paraguay to ask Brazil, which is suffering from its own severe drought, to release water from the low-capacity Itaipu Dam. 
So what is your assessment of the environmental and economic impact of the drought? And how has this impacted uh, Paraguay's relationship with neighboring Brazil? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. If confirmed, I would look forward to working with the government of Paraguay on strengthening their ability to respond to the kind of environmental threats you described. Paraguay has taken some meaningful actions in this step, already participating in the ministerial roundtable in April with Special Envoy for Climate Change, uh, Kerry, uh, committed to achieving zero net emissions by the year 2050, and with USAID support, has been working on uh, improving sustainable livestock processes and forest fire management, recognizing the great threat they've experienced and that they face. At the same time, the threats that Paraguay faces that are environmental in nature are linked to some of the issues that I described in my opening statement, particularly rule of law, corruption, and impunity in the country. And that for Paraguay to effectively address these environmental challenges, which it needs to do, it's also going to need to ensure that it has a system where there is an ability to enforce laws that are passed to achieve uh, a compliance with standards that the government may assess, and that U.S. assistance in these areas in investigation, prosecution, and so forth will actually be an asset for Paraguay in addressing the environmental challenges that it and its neighbors in the region are facing. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I, I have one question, but I, I would direct it to both Ambassador Rayner Enter Dr. Osfield, and it follows along the same line as uh, I had earlier from Mr. Fittrell, and that is with regard to the programs that we have available to us to provide and to promote goodwill and to improve our economic activity between the different countries. I, I also serve on the Armed Services Committee, and in there we talk about ways in which we can promote with our allies and our, and our friends the ability to coordinate activities and to have them learn our way of, uh, of military activity. But time and again, as we speak with these military officers, they talk about the need for the engagement by the Department of State and the different programs that can be very, very helpful and very efficient in maintaining good relationships with these countries and that can be done at a very low cost, really, for the amount of impact that we provide. I would ask, beginning with, with Ambassador Rayner, if there were particular programs that you have found to be beneficial, could you share that with us? And, and then, Dr. Rosefield, if you could as well give us your thoughts. Thank you, Senator. Uh, yeah, I think I would mention three, three things in response to that. First, uh, I would note that um, uh, our traditional development work is important. Uh, it, it, uh, it, uh, it meets human needs. It shows that we are in partnership with the country where we're engaged and not there to pursue our own narrow interests. Uh, and uh, elevating the visibility of that impact is something that I have always sought to do at, at the embassies I've served at. And I think that's an important piece of it because we need to persuade not only the, the, the governments but the people of these countries uh, where their true friends and partners are. Uh, secondly, I would note that um, uh, training in the United States, leadership development programs in the United States. Uh, our programs, you mentioned the military ones, the war college, that sort of thing. World class. No one comes close to the quality. Uh, but what we lack is scale. Uh, China doesn't do it as well as we do, but they do it for hundreds, thousands of times more people uh, than we do. So if there were a way that we could increase the scale of some of these programs, bring them to the United States, 
It's not the same to do the work in the country, because when they come to the United States, they understand America in a way that they will never understand if they're not physically there absorbing everything that we are. The third thing I would mention is as important as I think training and development programs are, I think the way that the United States ultimately will be transformational is through the private sector, through high quality private sector engagement with countries. Uh, we have enormous interest, I know in Senegal and in every country I've served at, in, in the quality of US private sector engagement, sharing information, high quality labor standards, environmental standards. Uh, we do it right, uh, but where we, where we suffer is on the competitive cost side of that. So you mentioned DFC, and I, I gotta say that that's a very exciting reinvention of that program from where, from where I sit, uh, based on what we did before. Uh, the scale of it is more, more in keeping with what we need to be doing. Uh, its construct uh, can and should make it more nimble, uh, because what we do is run out of time. We have processes, uh, and China and others come with financing built in. So we need to streamline and make more scaled and, and impactful the financing piece of the support we provide to our own tri private sector engagement. Thank you. Dr. Oshfield. Thank you, Senator Rounds. I would focus on three areas in terms of where the U.S. can better help Paraguay develop and become a more, an even stronger, more viable partner for us and for, for the region it works in. The first of those is addressing governance and rule of law. And U.S. training and technical support and financial support to help Paraguay root out corruption, to strengthen the integrity of their judicial system, which has a, a reputation of being weak and corrupt, um, is an essential element of ensuring that Paraguay has the, th the kind of thriving democracy that the Paraguayan people deserve and that we also want to see for, for Paraguay. Secondly, U.S. assistance in improving security in the region. Uh, that includes things like money laundering, links to terrorism financing, narcotics trafficking, counterfeiting, and U.S. assistance has helped in areas related to asset forfeiture, improved investigatory techniques, better case-building mechanisms, improves a strengthened prosecution uh, across the board. Not only uh, do we do that on the civilian side, U.S. military has been assisting the Paraguayan military in things like crisis response to help address the security situation in the tri-border area, which is the area with that Paraguay borders Brazil and Argentina, but also more broadly. And then finally, if Paraguay wants to indeed be an attractive destination for U.S. businesses, for U.S. businesses to further investment there, Paraguay is going to have to address these issues. U.S. assistance is already working with Paraguay, for example, on improving the transparency of its solicitations and its procurement tenders, which, are, which have a tendency to be opaque, to help the government of Paraguay better understand the risks with untrusted vendors, and to dis dissuade Paraguay, Paraguay's business community from the investment disputes and frivolous lawsuits and violation of intellectual property rights, which ultimately act as a deterrent for many U.S. businesses to invest in Paraguay. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, thank you, uh, Senator Rounds. And uh, I don't know if you have any closing uh, remarks. I, I would just simply say thank you to our panelists before us today, our nominees. Um, uh, clearly, as I said earlier, you are a qualified group of individuals, and I thank you and your families for your service. And let me second that and just say I think this is a very important moment for American diplomacy around the world. And in 
my judgment. Um, all of you will help our country uh, meet that moment uh, in the countries you've been nominated uh, to be our ambassador in, and I look forward to supporting your nominations. Um, for any members wishing to submit questions for the record, the hearing record will remain open until the close of business tomorrow, Friday, August 6th. And with that, this hearing is adjourned.